and welcome to another episode of The Weekly Wrap, in which I, Janine Ryan, will tell you about what you can expect from the 23 July issue of Farmers Weekly. This issue will be on shelf on 16 July. On the cover this week is a story on the role cattle and other ruminants play in ensuring a sustainable future for the planet, an article on a successful apple grower in the free state, and a story on a free grain trading app that is making it easier for buyers and sellers to find each other. Also on the covers, a story on how governments around the world have helped the agriculture sectors during COVID-19 lockdowns, as well as advice on how to dig a profile pit so you can properly examine the physical characteristics of your soil. This week, I want to have a closer look at the cattle and apple stories. So let's start with cattle. Farmers Weekly spoke to Sarah Place, Chief Sustainability Officer at Lanco Animal Health, and contrary to popular belief, Place says that livestock have an important role to play in the well-being of people and the planet. Climate activists have for many years now targeted livestock production as the primary cause of global warming and touted plant-based diets as a solution to this. One of the main arguments made against the production of livestock is that the land used to produce crops for animals could be better used instead to provide food for people, while simultaneously reducing the impact of production on the environment. It all comes down to resource competition. Are cattle eating food that humans could eat? Well, yes, says Place. But the answer is not so straightforward. She says that only around 14% of what livestock consume globally could potentially be eaten by humans. 86% of what ruminants eat consists of forage that humans cannot consume. Moreover, cattle only need 600 grams of human inedible protein to produce one kilogram of human edible protein in the form of milk and meat. As such, cattle and other ruminants convert low-quality protein into high-quality protein fit for human consumption. This is important to understand why ruminants are vital for a sustainable future. They produce more protein than they use, upcycling something that is of little or no value, such as grass, into a higher-value product like beef. So what about land use? Sure, there's a direct competition between food crops and feed grow- crops grown on arable land. But by far the most land that is used for ruminant production specifically cannot be used for crop production. This includes rangelands that are too rocky, steep or arid for cultivating crops. Another important aspect to consider is quality of land use. There are examples of mass erosion in fields where crops are planted, and this of course is unsustainable. Over time, data has shown what an enormous difference it makes to have continuous cover on the soil surface. This is especially the case in pasture lands where the soil is permanently covered. From a food systems perspective, pastures are not a particularly valuable way um, to use land without ruminant animals. But used for livestock, they produce valuable forage crops that have lower rates of erosion and improved soil health in most cases, which brings sustainability not unhealthy competition to our food systems. They also allow for rotation, which is beneficial for the soil and plants. Importantly, says Pace, the plant agriculture versus animal agriculture dichotomy is a false one. The two work together. Farmers Weekly also asked Place about ruminants' contribution to methane gas emissions, which is often cited as a reason for reducing or ending livestock production entirely. Place says that according to the US Environmental Protection Agency, About 4% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions come from cattle production. This includes all the enteric methane that comes from ruminant animals and all the emissions from managed manure within the livestock sector. Crop farming produces about 5% of emissions, putting total emissions from agriculture at 9% of the total overall. 
while this is something that needs addressing and something that farmers are constantly working at producing, livestock production is not the main culprit when it comes to methane gas emissions. The burning of fossil fuels, for example, accounts for 75% of all of US greenhouse gas emissions. With climate change a reality, everyone must do more to lower the impact on the environment. This includes the agriculture sector. Place says that farmers should focus on reducing methane along with increasing soil carbon storage. There are many ways to achieve this from increasing the genetic potential of animals to garner greater output from fewer inputs to increasing the efficiency of converting feed into meat and milk. Anything that can be done to improve feeding, increase nutrient uptake by the animals and reduce nutrient losses is important. There's been much interest in new feed additives and biotechnologies that can reduce emissions directly from animals and their manure. Grazing management and extensive systems are crucial, not only to achieve carbon sequestration, but to provide high quality feed to animals and reduce their emissions. Since more readily digestible foodstuffs tend to reduce methane emissions, feeding regimes play a major role in reducing the industry's carbon footprint. You can read more about White Castle, an imperative part of sustainable future in the 23 July issue of Farmers Weekly. Now to apples. Doug Osler, Free State Agriculture's 2021 Young Farm of the Year, is in charge of apple production on his family's farm in the Eastern Free State. Osler oversees the entire apple production process for Lone Tree Farms from planning and planting through to marketing and sales. The on-farm packhouse has the capacity to process between 60 tons and 80 tons a day in a single shift and can keep 2,000 bins of fruit and 300 pallets of pack product in cold storage. Lone Tree Farms employs 85 permanent staff and up to 400 seasonal workers. The field crops division of the business includes dryland wheat, maize and dry beans, as well as seed potatoes and a pivot irrigation. The business also includes a grain sales division that stores, cleans and packs produce from the farm and external sources and sells directly to customers. Lone Tree Farms began fruit production in 1994, when four hectares were planted to the Royal Gala, Top Red and Granny Smith cultivars. More orchards have been added over the years, and by the time Osler joined the business in 2004, they covered 39 hectares. Today, there are 109 hectares of apple orchards on two sites, with Royal Gala and Pink Lady accounting for 60% of the farm's annual production. The apples are sold locally and exported. According to Osler, frost in September and October, when the trees are flowering, poses the main threat to apple production in the region. In September 2016, for example, about 95% of the apple crop on the farms was lost to frost. Because the Eastern Free State produces only 2% of South Africa's apples, the demand is too small for the orchards to be insured against frost. As hail is also a major threat to production, the family uses nets to cover the orchards. These nets also offer other benefits, such as enhancing fruit quality, creating an environment for better growth, and providing a slight degree of frost protection. Nets with a 20% shade factor are used to permit maximum light penetration. The nets are replaced every 10 years. While expensive to establish at around 300,000 rands per hectare, Oza says they cannot produce apples in this region without them as the risk is too great. He hopes to expand production to 150 hectares over the next five years. Now let's take a look at the news. One of the highlights this week includes a story on the KwaZulu-Natal High Court ruling against the Ingonyama Trust with regard to traditional land rights. This has far-reaching implications for South Africa. The High Court in Pietermaritzburg 
recently ruled that the Ingonyama Trust had erred when it forced tenants to convert their traditional permission to occupy rights into leases on their ancestral land. The court ordered all rent collected be repaid to the claimants and that their PTO rights be restored until such time as their rights to the land could be formalized, for which the Minister of Agriculture is ultimately held responsible. Dr. Annika Klaassens, Chief Researcher at the University of Cape Town's Land and Accountability Research Center, said the judgment was particularly important for all South Africans living in the former homelands and highlighted the concept of custodianship, which is currently being used in the debate on the proposed changes to Section 25 of the Constitution. In another story, Free State farmers have spent a minimum of 6 million rand on the repair of provincial and municipal roads in the province during the first three months of 2021, according to Francois Wilkin, president of Free State Agriculture. The condition of the roads in the province is scandalous. Not only are the poor roads life-threatening, but they have an extremely negative impact on economic activity in general and the agricultural economy in particular, he told Farmers Weekly. He added that the condition of the roads was at its worst in the northeastern free state. Due to the lack of government capacity and its inability to repair the roads, farmers were increasingly forced to do so themselves. And the last story I want to cover today, it is reported that the agriculture spends about 146 billion rand on intermediate goods, with electricity accounting for 94% of this amount. In subsequent discussions with industry role players, Agri-SA emphasized the difficulties agriculture experienced with ESCOM's electricity supply. Job Dupreer, General Manager for Trade and Markets at Hawkeye, said unreliable electricity supply to the deciduous fruit industry had been causing problems for farmers on several fronts. If there's load shedding during summer, farmers can't irrigate to pump water into their dams. It also affects our pack houses with bottlenecks and interrupts the cold chain. Some of our fruit grows to specialist markets that have very stringent cold chain requirements. Load shedding puts us at risk. Dupreer said ESCOM was faced with general supply constraints in certain areas, which was preventing growth and development in the fruit sector. That's all for this week. Remember to get your copy of the 23 July issue of Farmers Weekly on shelf on 16 July. You won't regret it. Uh, also remember to follow us on social media. Uh, this past week has been a particularly difficult one with rising muting KZN and Gauteng. Uh, we have many stories on our website about how this is affecting the food supply chain and farmers. So please visit farmersweekly.ca for more information about this. Please keep yourselves and your family safe and for next time, happy farming. <laughs>